0: It's just like, what if when we're telling our stories, we're actually the ones helming those stories? And that's something I'm really passionate about coming from an independent Black world. I'm grateful that that was kind of my start because I know what that feels and what that looks like and how, oh, how cool that is and how rich that is. And so as I build, that's something I'm going to be actively trying to, to keep with me. As I get, you know, growing this business, I don't want to leave my indie roots because the indie roots is actually the part I love.
1: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress, with credit in. And- film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week, I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic. Happy Mentor Monday. Our guest, our mentor this week is Winter Dunn. How phenomenal is that name. She does many, many different things, right? Which a lot of people in entertainment do, but she really takes it to another level. She works, has worked on a, as a freelance director, a producer on many different projects, as an actor, and you know specifically, like we talk about. This one project, which is a full-length feature film called Jezebel, which world premiered at 2019 South by Southwest Film Festival with reviews, including critics pick by The Hollywood Reporter. That film was acquired by Ava DuVernay and is on Netflix, right? So we talk all about that experience being at South by Southwest, what set her and her team apart. And in addition to filming and producing and directing, she also has worked as a producer and director for Condé Nast. So she produced and directed digital editorial content for the Condé Nast Umbrella, including working on celebrity videos for Vanity Fair, Vogue, Architectural Digest, GQ, Allure. And maybe you've seen Kim and Kanye quiz each other in Architectural Digest, or you saw Billie Eilish on the same interview, the third year thing. I don't know if you've gone down that rabbit hole, but that for that was for Vanity Fair. She worked on that. The 73 Questions with Gal Gadot, for instance, for Vogue, she worked on that. So she does so much, right? And currently... She is a directing fellow for Film Independent. They have this program called Project Involve, and she is working on it with them. It's such a fantastic fellowship, seemingly. It just sounds amazing. So we hear all about that, what she thinks of it, what she loves, and what she's getting out from from that particular program. And I can't wait to introduce you guys. So without further ado, here's Winter Dunn. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I appreciate you being here. And the first question I always like to ask is what was your first role in entertainment?
0: Yeah, so I've been in the arts my whole life. And so that's kind of a weird question sometimes for me, but I would say my first real job in this business, I was working as a PA um, for a very independent Black production company making web series in South LA. And I was like, there's black people in LA. Like this is before we've had all this, you know, insecure, like all these shows representing us. I had never seen us. And so when I moved here, I was like, Hey, I will do everything. Like I will run around. I will get coffee, whatever you need. I'm here because I want to support the culture, but I I also want to learn. I have a theater background. I have stage training, but I didn't really have too much production training. So
1: how did you get it? How did you reach out to them? How did you find them?
0: Yeah. So when I first moved out here, I remember I was like going to church in Hollywood, literally. And I walked out of the church and bumped into this girl and she dropped her books. Like she was like buying a book and I was like, oh my God, like talk about a meet cute. Like it was adorable. And so we started talking and she was like, well, me and a few girls, we met at a event, like an artist event through the church last week. So we're all going to walk up to Chipotle, like right there and just have lunch. And do you want to come and hang out? I'm like, Yeah. I just got here like two months ago. I know no one. So I walked down and met up with them. And while sitting, I started talking about what I wanted to do and some of the companies I was interested in. And then there was another girl who was just there really quiet, sweet. And she was like, oh my God, like I know the folks you're talking about. Like I know these teams. I was like, oh, okay, great. So me and her connected, left, didn't see her again for months, didn't go back to the church for months. I was kind of bouncing around. Finally, I I was just like, you know what? I want to work with these people. Like, so I just started sending out cold emails and just trying to make myself available and around, you know? And I got an email back that said, hey, Winter, we're having a Valentine's Day screening event with like all the teams and the different cast members like come through and just kind of meet everybody. It's like, great. I get there, the girl from that lunch who knew who I was talking about, she had gotten hired over the like four or five months that it passed since. I see her, I'm like, oh my God. She's like, girl, I responded to your email like that was me.
1: (laughs) That's really awesome.
0: So it really was just like a a kismet moment where I was like, wow. Okay. Um, I always tell people when you're coming to a new city, a lot of it's going to be hard work and a lot of it's going to be just putting yourself out there almost in every space you're in,
1: just, you know, keeping it open and you just never know. Oh my God. I love that advice. Well, specifically also because I tell people all the time, like, like, find your communities, like find people, obviously meet people wherever. But like, I always tell people, like, if you were lucky enough to go to school, like go through their alumni department. If you belong to a church, find a church, find a, like, I'm a Jewish, so find a synagogue, like find anywhere where you can find a community where people like connect with you on something right? And then they, you know, then get to know them that way. It's not like a promise that they'll help you, but it's, it's a start.
0: It's a start. And there's common ground. I think that's what it is. When you come to big cities and there's so many people, we're not really looking at each other like people. It's like, you're just bumping into folks all day, every day. And it's a lot of stimulation. But if you can get yourself in a space where we can go, oh my God, we actually connect on something, something that's true and authentic to who I am. Then it just gives you a sense of common ground where it's like, oh, well, let me get to know you more. Like, I now just care. I'm leaning into you, you know, in a way that you wouldn't have been if we just bumped into each other on the street.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Such great advice. No, I'm so glad. Thank you. Because a lot of the people who listen to this, like they want to know how to get that first thing. So I definitely wanted to cover that. So what's next? How did you get from there to your next gig? Oh, my goodness. So I was working there for about a year as a production
0: assistant, just on set doing my thing and talk about a blessing. So I was one of those people at the beginning, and a lot of people caught me crazy and said it wouldn't work. I'm kind of laughing at them now because I think it is working. I like to move in multiple directions at one time. So when I came here, I was a theater trained actress, but also a dancer, but also a director. So I had all these things that I loved and everyone said, you have to choose one. And if you don't choose one, you'll never move forward because you got to choose one, get successful at that. Then you can branch out. And that just didn't feel right to me. So at first I thought that would be acting. So I was only like auditioning, like doing the thing. And I felt so drained and so not like myself, you know, even the fact of like putting so much effort into what I look like every day. I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care to be seen in this way every day. So I was like out doing acting stuff. I was on Facebook groups. I remember every morning, like it was my job submitting myself for everything, like photo shoots for this company, BuzzFeed's doing a a video about X, Y, like every day. Hey, I'm interested. Here's my headshot. Here's my Instagram. Like boom, 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 boom. While also being on set every day, like being a PA, like running around, meeting the cast members, getting close with the DPs and learning like, okay, what's that eyeline thing you keep talking about? Like what are all these elements that everybody's just in agreement? Like, oh yeah, everyone just seems to know what's happening. And I'm sitting here like actively learning a new language, I thought. And so while doing that, one of the co-owners of that company kind of saw me and she was like, this girl is hustling. Like I see you everywhere. And that was maybe two years into being in LA. So finally it's like, I was in a video over here, but I also worked on a little web series over here, but my friend did a commercial and I'm over here. And she was like, doing a lot like tell me more about you and so I told her you know I'm from Fordham University it's a great program like I'm not a dummy you just didn't know who I was yet she was like I just wrote a feature film and it's my first feature I think it was a really personal story and she's like I'm looking for producers like I'm looking for people who just can get it done and it doesn't have the most funding or like budget so it's not going to be glamorous but you seem like you're down to like get in the trenches. And I was like, I am, let's do this. And so that brought me my first feature as a producer. And we ended up South by Southwest. Jezebel is now streaming on Netflix. And that really just kind of jump started everything. So I kind of love that it came from the dirty work. You know, it came from me being on the ground, like hungry. And someone saw that and went, I need that. I need someone who's hungry who will do the work with me. So that's what happened next.
1: I really relate to that because I don't know if you know this, but I'm an actress too. And so I got out of college and I was like, I've always wanted to be an actor. I was like, I'm ready. I'm not going to move to L.A. because it's too intimidating and my support system is in New York, but I'm going to move back to New York. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I agree, I, I got all this like advice from people that was like, just stay in one lane in order for you to beat the odds, acting is too hard, just do that. And I did it in A, super draining. It's very draining trying to find jobs all the time, trying to find the agent manager, trying to find casting directors, whatever, all of it. But then also it's like, A, it doesn't satisfy you all the time because you're working to try to get these acting jobs and it's not super fulfilling. And I wish that I did more stuff when I was that age. Like I I wish that I maybe, you know, worked as a PA more. I think I worked as a PA every once in a while, but very like just, I was so focused on acting. And I do tell people now, like do other stuff. Like you have to do other stuff to get, that gives you joy that like has you meet other people. Like I'm so, so happy that you you did that. And I'm so happy that you're telling people to do that. It's amazing. It's a game changer. And, and for those actors out
0: there, just a piece of advice, if you are getting on set, you might need a little bit of ego, right? Like I think sometimes you're working with actors and you're like, I'm an actor too. And they're like, but I'm the actor today. It can hurt your your ego, but I think we need our egos checked a little bit every now and then. You don't want to get up in this business and have the girl with the big head thinking everybody has to bow down to me and what I'm doing. There's something, there's a humility. It's like, do you want to tell stories or not? Right, that's what it should be. And if you want to act, that's the part you want to play in telling the story. That's beautiful. But I don't think it'll be a disservice to understand how the full story is being told or what the different roles of that story are because that'll just make you a more considerate artist when you do big book the, the big jobs. You'll show up with an understanding of where people are coming from, that it's not just about me. <laughs> you know, I'm, oh I'm an God. important part, but it's not just about.
1: Me. I love that you said that. I've been really thinking a lot, like recently redefining for myself, like why I want to be an actor. And a lot of it is storytelling. It's like, I love that part of storytelling. So I'm so happy you said that. I just, I was like, I've just wrote that down a few days ago. So good. so so tell me a little bit about Jezebel. So how did what were the first few days like? Obviously, you hadn't really had that much experience doing that sort of role before. So what was that like? How'd you figure it out? That's when you're hungry, got a kick in full gear.
0: I was like, "Look, I don't have the most experience, but if you tell me what you need, I will do everything in my power to get that thing done. And working with a director, writer, producer, actress like Numa Perrier, who she directed Jezebel, working alongside her, there was just a support there without her necessarily babying me. Like she wasn't like, I'm going to bring you in and like help you out. She was like, girl, this this is what we need to do. Right. But there was still a a, a care to it. There was the, I don't know. I felt safe to make a mistake and then own up and go, okay, I think I I screwed this up. Tell me exactly what was screwed up about it. And I will 100% fix it. You know, there was a sense of uh, just a safe space. And so We were working, you know, out of her home, which also doubled as her production studio. It was a beautiful space. So I was with her every day for, shoot, months, two two months, I would say I was with her every day, five days a week. And after, you know, she brought me on, we had a table read within, I would say, two, three weeks. Three weeks, we were already having a table read. Within that two months, we were shooting. So it was very like, we approached it like it was a, a really long web series since we were also experienced at like cranking out web content and that's always on the fly. It's always quick. There's never enough money. You just gotta be creative in the moment. I think that really helped us with this film, because we didn't walk into it thinking, okay, now this is the big movie, so everything has to be perfect. It was like, we know how to shoot this. Like, what's the story? Like, you know, what do we need? What what do we need? Not all the things that we want, but what do we need to tell this story cleanly and beautifully?
1: And that's what we did. We were in Vegas within six weeks. It was in Vegas. And so I, I'm always interested in creating a film in, in that, like, you know, when you step back and when you're doing the whole project, The, like, acting part is such a, I wouldn't want to say small part because it's obviously super important, but I mean small in the sense that, like, it takes the least amount of days. Like, you're putting all these months into pre-production, post-production. The actual filming part can be days it's just so it's bizarre to me to think about how much of a small piece of the puzzle you are in its entirety but it's it's the face of it you know people look at the actors people look at the filmmaking and go that you know it's so important you have the visual aspect of it but it's just the smallest part of this longer puzzle that's months so what kind of what were your what was your day to day before and after filming like how was it how, what were you doing what were your responsibilities that sort of thing
0: yeah. So uh, shoot, physical production, I think was like my biggest responsibility.
1: You know, I think Numa understood that. Well, she had a lot of hats, like on the actual days of shooting, she's, she's directing and she was in it. Right. So it's like,
0: yeah, so it was, it was a lot. And I was also first ADing
1: when we were on set.
0: Huh? So at that point, I didn't honestly, I didn't have the the vocabulary even to really categorize what I needed to do, but in its simplest form I needed to create a world that people can come play in period what is that world we need a location we need that house we need the cameras like I'm it literally at that point I'm a better producer now I know how to prep and go okay this is what I know I'm going to need and like how to organize that and even communicate that and like delegate different tasks and all yeah. those things at that point it was like just get it done. So, you know, manning the budget, making sure we had the equipment, making sure the actors and crew all had their paperwork. They were all clear on their deals and their payment schedules. Um, you know, navigating, traveling to Vegas. We shot half the film in Las Vegas. So we had to like get everybody down there, making sure we had hotels booked, like buying food, like having someone in charge of cooking and like crafty, it was a lot as well as like getting equipment from a production house we all used to work for, but also figuring out what needs to be rented or talking to my DP and getting a very long equipment list and knowing I can't afford it. And then having to go, let me research what each of these pieces are so that me and Numa can sit down and go, okay, what do you really need this to look, feel like? And what pieces of this equipment. While would be, you know, beautiful, do we not need?
1: <laughs> and that's important because it obviously did so well. So whatever those choices were, worked.
0: Yeah. Numa's really really
1: um, special about
0: using what's needed and not over, like not getting so caught up in what we want all the time. But it's like, what do we need to tell the, the best story? And that's something I, my background, that's similar coming from theater you know, we, there are there aren't a lot of the extras we oftentimes don't get. You know, I wasn't on a Broadway stage. I was in, you know, New York City Black Box Theater. So it's always asking, just what do we need to tell the story? And oftentimes I think that mindset creates the best stories because they're simple and they're clean. Because you can't you can't be
1: a mess because you don't have the resources It's important, but also because you're constantly checking yourself about, like, am I telling story right now, which I think is the most important. If you think of, like, an essay, it's like going back to the thesis statement. You're always making sure it's always proving the thesis. And I think a lot of people, even if they have large budgets— might not be checking back in
0: it's actually harder to check yeah. in when you have large budgets because then you're having fun with money you're like oh and then we could do this and then wow and we can have her fly like yeah you, know, you just get so caught up and then you sit back and you're like wait what was the story we were
1: and we've watched we've watched those those stories where we're like what a, what are we who's the audience they wanted to write this for what's this story about <laughs> are we still watching the same film like what's going on right we're all lost we all we not we know those we you know the, there's just so much content right now so you're seeing like everything all over the spectrum so tell me so obviously then post production happened how long was post production approximately for Jezebel
0: a little over what a year i would say a year and a half of post production i would say about a year and a half of post and then there that's when the festival like festival started and like submitting and all that so i w- i want to say about 2 years but i would say the actual post post part of it was about a year and a half
1: Any choices in that one year that you felt took it over the top in terms of post-production? Like color, like color editing, like all that stuff, like color, what's the word? It's color. Color correction. Correction. I was like, what's that second word? Yes. Like color, like anything in specific, you were like, we did this and it worked really well. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, post is where your film gets made. Pre-production is when you prepare for that film and you really like hone in on story obviously shooting is where you actually get the pieces that you need to build a story, but post is when the story is actually is made. And that's why it can take so long and it's very expensive. I mean, yeah, even from, you know, editing choices and seeing like certain scenes were longer and going, actually the scene in like, we have it, like we saw what we needed. We don't, you know, we don't need all that. And, and once again, not to take any credit away from Numa who directed the film, I think, still being novice at that point, watching her make choices about her debut film and the way she was thinking about what was important and what, it was really beautiful, honestly, to watch her and really support her and be like, okay, what are you confused about? So I can give you another set of eyes to say, I see the choice or that's still unclear. So maybe we need to go back in and you know hone in yeah. different things. But yeah, I think the post is when the film really, came together and it's really it's I I love it. it's beautiful it's a beautiful process
1: yeah and so after that then you're you're submitting all the festivals tell me about that how is that process how many film festivals did you submit to how many did you travel for I mean this is prior to COVID so
0: yeah so I don't remember how many festivals you submitted to but I will say our big kind of premiere at South by so tell me about that that's a big deal That was a big deal. And and what was beautiful is that was always like on our dream board. Like it was like, we want Jezebel at South by Southwest because they're so edgy and like down to have fun and and it just fit Jezebel. We're like South by Southwest has to be it. And Netflix has to be it. Like, And I remember sitting at that table with Numa at the very beginning and her being like South by Southwest and Netflix. And I remember going, Hell yeah. Like, I see that. That is, I see that. And for, for that to have happened, it, it really is just really special. But South By, we we really took advantage. Like, the team, everyone came out. Production paid for, like, a, a few of the core members to buy out, but everyone was there. It felt like a family affair. We all had on, like, pink, neon-type uh, bomber jacket. So, all throughout the festival, people, like, knew when the Jezebel girls oh. were out. Like,
1: so smart
0: oh yeah it was like a moment and I'll never forget it because it felt like a moment we walk in and people be like oh my god are those the Jezebel jackets like wow you know and it worked all of our screenings were sold out like sold out plus I remember one screening there were like 100 people that couldn't get in because you know there are small
1: theaters around the city that's a big deal
0: it's a big deal and they gave us another screening that wasn't scheduled so it showed me once again okay, there are so many ways to tell stories. The film is a story, but your press run and your festival run, those are stories too. And what story do you want to tell people when they physically see you at a festival or even digitally or virtually? Like, What are they getting across from this story? And I think people immediately saw one, it was helmed by Black women, which was important for all of us. Two, we were down to have fun. And we were playful. And it was like, this movie is fun. Like when you see it, the main character isn't some down, distraught sex worker. She's a girl who's like- Empowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very empowered. And in Vegas, especially at that time, women had a, a resource that men didn't have. So there actually was like, I can go out and make really good money while you're a bus boy, right? right? So that play, that's a dynamic that plays in it, And that doesn't yeah. have to be a sad story.
1: No, and it should and it yeah, I feel like people immediately think it will be a sad story and it's absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and so people heard about the film and then they saw us and they were like, Oh, like it's okay. Yes.
0: We're like, it's okay. Like it's fine. It, we're let's just have fun. Come see our movie.
1: Yeah. Sort of odd question. Did you find I mean, were you networking as well while you were there slash going to other films? Did you find that there were a good amount of like black filmmakers and black content and films? Or was it like, you know, I always want to know. I'm trying to get a gauge of like, if there's progress over time. I'm going to say, I definitely
0: met some really beautiful Black filmmakers, especially in the short film space. And then even a few of the alumni, like Bola Ogun, she was, I think, moderated one of our Q&As, and she had a film there, I believe, the previous year. So there was definitely a presence of, of Black folks, and there was definitely a presence of people of color, which was a beautiful thing to see. I felt like talking with the programmers at South By and just getting to know them during that experience, that was important to them, too. Yeah. Like, we all should be represented and we should all be able to have fun and watch each other's movies. Absolutely.
1: I love South By. As soon as the world opens up, I'm like... That's the one. That's the one I'm going back to. And so how did... how did, uh, I mean, obviously, so many people then saw it, right? How did it get mixed in with Ava DuVernay? How did it get mixed up with a lot of other people who are huge directors, writers in in the entertainment? How did that happen? Oh, well, I think a lot
0: of that did come from... Well, you know, Numa had been in this in this city, in this town for a long time, right? She was making, she was one of the first people making Black Web series, her and her partner at the time. So it wasn't like, she, even though this was her first feature, it's not like she came out of nowhere. I think if anything, I came out of nowhere. Like people were like, who the hell is this? <laughs> Where did winter come from, you know? But Numa had been around and she had been building a, 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 a her own community and her own network and they were all growing and building, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. So I kind of walked into a space or a community that she had spent all these years building. So when it came to getting on Netflix, I mean, her and Ava had already known each other. And not to say that that was like a show no. from Jump at all, no. but it was beautiful to then watch Ava Want to support NUMA the way, in some ways, NUMA has supported me. You know, she was like, Your film's beautiful. You know, you guys did the work. You're doing the, like, I think we had done the groundwork. It kind of felt like it made sense. And and there might have been, you know, more conversations or more complex conversations, I'm sure, but that's what it felt like. It felt like, okay, we did the work. The film's doing its thing. We want to land at Array. That was always, that was another thing that was like, Mm. oh my God, Array is amazing. Yeah. You know, once
1: again, a company helmed by Black women, it seems to be Synergy. And thankfully it was. So did Ava introduce you guys to the Netflix people or did she also, Numa also know, you know, people at Netflix as well?
0: Yes. So all of the the Netflix that came through Array. So once we were picked up by Array, that was kind of like a part of our distribution plan as well as a theatrical run.
1: That's so freaking cool.
0: I know. Even to this day, I'm like, wow.
1: <laughs> really cool so this was all what year was this this is 2018 am I wrong hold on uh yeah so this was around 2000 this probably 2019 even so at the same time and I hope you don't mind us talking about this as well you also got an executive assistant role at propagate content so I wanted to hear about that because this is back to the whole premise which is like don't put all your eggs in one basket let's see what else I can do so how is that because that really fascinated me I love that
0: Oh yeah, I was everywhere. So just to go back to that, do everything at once, the week, maybe two weeks after we shot the first leg of Jezebel, I was off directing a web series from a friend at UCB, which is a sick comedy school. Yeah. And when we went to ABFF with Jezebel, my web series was there too at the same time. Wow. Yeah, going back to do as much as you can at once, I found that things just started popping. But to go back to your question about Propagate, Once again, you know, my route to being a producer is very untraditional and I knew I still have a lot to learn. And I also still need to define what it is that I really want to do. You know, I'm doing everything. It feels like. Yeah. I'm finally growing and getting to a point where I need to be a bit more specific about. I don't know just what's really my lane and what are the things that are attached to my lane? Like, Oh, I'm doing this, but I can also dip off and do this and this and this, you know, I mean, I thought, is that producing? And, you know, being quite frank, coming from an indie space, I was like, it would be nice to see what a full-time job in this business It was like, like, what yes. is that check every
1: two weeks? Yes. No, well, that well that's important because it's it's very difficult. I, I talked to so many people on the podcast about it, like both executives at like big companies and filmmakers. And it's all roles in entertainment, all like journeys are all over the place in so many ways. But so many of them do not have any sort of stability and any sort of consistent income. And so you could be having all this wonderful success, but at the same time, you're like, it'd be really nice if I just knew what was coming in the end of the month. And so how did you apply for this job? How did you get it? Like, I want to know all of it.
0: Oh, yeah. So I would say about six months prior, I was kind of putting the word out, kind of how I did when I first moved here. Like, I want to be in production. I just want to be on set and I want to learn, right? So at this point, I'm like, hey, I have this film. I'm really proud of it you know, traveling for festivals is very expensive. I wasn't even at some of our festival run because I quite frankly couldn't afford it. You know, I'm in my mid twenties at that point, I'm still grinding. So I put the word out all my friends who did have any kind of consistent, like job in entertainment. Hey, I'm looking for a gig. You know, when I was living in New York, I had done a ton of assistant work, even like temp work, like, jumping into different agencies. I worked for a really prominent advertising agency. The name's slipping for some reason, but so I knew I could do that work. It's not, maybe not me, but let's see, put the word out. Finally, a friend hit me up like, Hey, I, a girl I know is leaving Propagate. I think she was getting married and she was moving back home or something. And they were like, they've been looking for an assistant. I told her about you. Can I send her your resume? Absolutely. Went in, interviewed, and I think it was pretty clear that I did not look like the typical people they hired. And I don't mean that in regards to color or race or anything like that. It was just, you know, I came in with a big fro, like burnt orange boots. Like, I just was like, hey, this is you. This is me. This is my experience. I have an independent you know, film that's out. I've been producing independent content up to this point on, on the ground, like that type of worker, but I'm also educated and I'm smart. So once again, kind of how I approach Jezebel, like whatever it is that you need, if you explain to me clearly what it is you need, I'll but, get, it get it done. That I know I can do, even though I might not know the assistant language and lingo, you're right. I was the executive assistant for the president of production and the CEO. So I was like one ear is on all the lawyer calls and negotiation, taking notes. The other ear is on like payroll. And it was like so much. I had to deal with everyone's checks and making sure my boss signed everything and making sure that was like fully being paid. And, you know, Propagate's a big company. So there yeah. are several shows coming through, even down to like, do they have office space? Do we have a floor for them? Do they have a desk and a white, like, Cool.
1: that was a hard one. Mm -hmm. That was
0: like a 55 hour a week job.
1: (laughs) And how long were you there for? Four weeks. Four weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did not know that. So four weeks. And then what happened? So before I applied to Propagate, another friend was like, hey, someone at
0: Condé Nast said they are looking for maybe new producers. Can I throw your name in the mix? Of course. I'm looking for a job. Interviewed seemed to go well, had a second interview, seemed to, oh no, actually at that point I didn't have the second interview. So I had the first interview and heard nothing. And like two months passed. This point I'm back on like looking for a job. Yeah. Assuming they just went with someone else. Yeah, I would do. Exactly. Right. So I get Propagate. I'm there for about two and a half weeks and I get an email from Condé like, hi Winter, are you still looking? Are you still looking to work with us? We needed to, you know, handle some higher up stuff. That wouldn't even open that position until about now, wow. can we set a call? Of course. Went in That's when I had my second interview. Mm. It really clicked, especially because they had a couple of different divisions, but especially when they were telling me about the editorial division, given my web series work yeah. and like how comfortable I was on set and talking to people and just kind of like, not being stressed about the celebrity of it. It's yeah. like, I don't really care. You know, whatever.
1: Did you put in two week notice at, uh, at Propagate or you kind of was just... Yep. So that was a short thing. So it was two weeks probably. And then you got this new job.
0: Yeah. And I felt terrible. I went to her, went to my boss at the time who was also an amazing woman of color who got it. Nice. And I was like, look, I interviewed for this months before this was even brought to me. I assumed it was a pass. I wouldn't even be here if I thought it was going to move through, but it has. I'm sorry. Like I would do everything in my power to find you someone else. Like, you know, just trying yeah. to make her know, like I didn't just slide in here for a check right. And then I'm like, out. Oh, you know, yeah. and she was like, you know what, Winter? I can't even be mad. Like that just seems so
1: you go That's get it, nice. girl. And I was just like, okay, do so <laughs> yeah. they find someone else pretty quickly or no? no eh, well you know they figured it
0: out oh, yeah. I, I left them with many people interviewing there were like three solid candidates so it was like there was someone it was just a lot going on and I think she didn't have the time to just like
1: hire someone so yeah. I think once I left that week she was like oh oh yeah we need to make this a priority I need to like do a thing so you were at Connie Nast you were producer and director and you still are so tell me about some of the fun things you've been doing there yeah. So I actually
0: have left Condé, not left. Oh, never mind. I know, but I haven't really said that. So it, it makes sense that you didn't know. I was always, I was brought in as a full-time freelancer. So my job at Condé was always technically as a freelancer, which I thought just worked because yeah. if I had to leave for four weeks, contractually, I could just do that. And Smart. then just not, you know, and then pop back in when I'm back. So this year is a lot going on in my world. And I just thought, hey, I need to just take a little space and focus on, narrative work and focus on just like longer format stuff. That's not just editorial internet content. But I mean, comedy was a, a blessing, a huge blessing for me. Once again, you know, wanting to strengthen my skill as a producer, you're shooting so much. I was shooting like two videos a week, at least producing and directing. And sometimes they're like, Hey, we just need you to produce this one thing, but you're already producing, directing two things over here. Like hey, what you doing this weekend? Can we fly you out to Vancouver to shoot on the set of Riverdale? You know, it was just like, oh, okay, there's no room to be chill or laxed or not know your shit. Excuse my language. It just, it was like, I had to be on. And yeah. in some ways that taught me a lot about the type of producer I wanted to be, but also the type of producers I wanted to work with. Some of my teammates in that space, I was like, whoa, you are really strong. You're actually much yes. stronger than me, if I'm honest. <laughs> you have the brain for this. And it became really clear, like I have a creative brain. Like I want to feel stuff. I don't want to just like knock out logistics. I want to touch fabric and go that mm. color mixes well with this or, you know, I just wanted to touch I don't know. I'm yeah, yeah. So I, I just want to be in it. But yeah, Condé was a, a huge blessing. And I got to work with, you know, talking about this business, sometimes talking about common ground, how we were talking about earlier. If you've worked with people, people know they assume you can do jobs. You shot Kim and Kanye. You shot Billie Eilish. You, you were at the Joker premiere. Like, you could probably do
1: this too, right? It feels familiar. So how does it work? Because Condé Nas covers it's such a huge umbrella, right? And so they have all these different like outlets. They have, you know, it's like it's like Vogue and Vanity Fair and um, I'm missing a and GQ, GQ Allure, yeah. Architectural Digest. Like it's all these incredible. So do they go, we want this type of content. Okay, Winter, we need you to do this. Or is it like, were you able to be part of what that content would be about? Or were you just being like, okay, this is what we need. You can get it done.
0: In some cases, a little bit of both. I would say making new content came a little later after they kind of trusted me. Each of those brands has a very clearly defined voice that a team of people spent a lot of time defining and like curating. And In terms of the content, a lot of those contents are shows, right? They don't feel like a show, but they are. It's like, it's essentially the same idea, but with a yeah. different celebrity content. So, or a different celebrity talent. So yeah, it was essentially getting assigned a shoot or hey, Winter, you know, so-and-so is going to come in and we think we could do a GQ concept, we could do an Allure concept, and we can do a Vanity Fair concept. Interesting. Yeah, so because we're all under the umbrella, we're all shooting for every brand, just about, except like Bon Petit, like that was all New York. Yeah. But it's like, we're all working in all these brands. So essentially, sometimes a, a celebrity can be plugged into different mm. spaces, depending on what it was. So right. it was also really important to, be able to execute a brand voice. I was just thinking that you need to
1: know their audience. You need to know like for every single one. And there's probably so many to be a mindset. I would have
0: days where I shot like four videos with the same talent, all different brands. So you're like, squeeze them in, shoot it out. Okay rest in the green room i have your fiji i have you know like making them feel supported and then running out and being like all right we need a 30 minute flip da, 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 da.
1: gq is like wow. da, 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 da. you know you're just like cranking what was like a couple of your favorite stories from that from that time mm, i love shooting
0: zazie beats
1: her yes. getting ready with me for
0: vogue i don't know first of all i thought it was really beautiful i love just the way yes. our EP was able to shoot that out but I don't know. It was just something really special about being in West Hollywood with like a Black actress in a major film, getting her hair braided. And then the woman directing her, it was me. And I think when I walked in, not to put any words into her team's mouth, but I do think there was like a... Oh, hey. Yeah, I imagine. Not every Black woman wants someone shooting them getting ready, because that True. is a really intimate space. So it was really dope to be like, girl, I get it. I will never shoot you in a way that's not flattering. And I yeah. know that there are certain things that we don't find flattering that people outside of our community
1: might not be aware of. <laughs> and, and that's so important. I was talking about this recently the other day, where it's like, it's important that like the storytellers are authentic, Right. And that you're telling a story because so often you have white people. I'm just going to say you have white people creating content and putting stories out there where they have no idea how that person sounds, how that person lives. You know, I was talking recently about the, I don't know if I'm going to include all this, but like, I was talking recently about the idea of, like, how often, you know, people of color are made to be street in certain content. And they're like, you have no idea what street looks like. That's not street. That's not what that sounds like at all. Like, you can tell when it's, right? Of course, I mean, we're talking about like white people, but it can really be anybody. But you can yeah, tell yeah. when it's a white voice speaking through a black body
0: in a piece. You're like, yeah, you cast the black guy, but. He would, he didn't say
1: that. And all it takes is you need one at least one person of color. All you need is one person to at least be like, that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Like we need we need to do X, Y, and Z. At least one person. And so sometimes they just don't even have that. So Which is crazy. Because imagine insane. if if we're
0: telling black stories, it's not just one. What if the director's coming from the community?
1: But then I still have my very limited experience of blackness. Exactly, and you have to be the sole represent, like present, like representative of that, of that right. like, whole. It's insane. Exactly, and it's like, what if my producer was also
0: a person of color who could go, oh, but actually, let's think about this, guys, and I'm like, what if the DPs, like, it's just like, what if when we're t- telling our stories, we're actually the ones helming those stories. And that's something I'm really passionate about coming from an independent Black world. I'm so grateful that that was kind of my start because I know what that feels and what that looks like and how how cool that is and how rich that is. And so as I build, that's something I'm going to be actively trying to keep with me as I get growing this business I don't want to leave my indie roots because the indie roots is actually the part I love that's the good
1: stuff yeah well so just to sort of culminate that journey then so what's going on now what are you know if, if you're working on anything what are you working on if not like what are you hoping to work on what are you sort of narrowing down as like this is important to me this is what I want to put out there
0: totally yeah well I just my, my short film Junebug has been killing it so uh, we just got distribution through Fox soul. A, a series called Fox Soul Screening Room. So now we're streaming on Tubi, which is like so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am also a directing fellow for Project Involved. So right now that's my world. I'm developing or helping to develop five short films and I'll be shooting one of them in the summer. Yeah, that's what I'm focused on. And I'm also creating a lot of new IP for myself. I've never put writer you know, am I multi it? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, writing yeah. I'm learning is something I have a fear around. And I think it stems from like when I was a kid and, and feeling like, it's funny, this is all really like new stuff I'm like pondering, but I think it was related to being afraid of my own voice. And the performer part of me, the talker part was comfortable. But when I was in a quiet space with a sheet of paper, I was afraid to say what was in my, I don't know, in my body. And so now I'm i am writing every day and there's some awesome. beautiful stories spilling out. And, you know, I'm excited for what's coming. I think this is going to be a really special year for me in film, or at least I hope so.
1: Yes, I think the best, I mean, I think everyone has a story to tell, but I, I also think it's important that more Black creatives get to share their stories. So I'm so glad on both ends that you're, you're finding that for yourself. I'm sure you have this amazing perspective to tell, and you obviously are going to be able to get it done because you're just that kind of person. So that's what I've been gathering from all this. It's that you are the person that will figure it out, that will get it done. So that is true. But five short films, that's a lot to oversee. Five short films, man. There's
0: five directors, there's five writers, there's five producers. So it's like, we're a cohort. So all of us.
1: Wait, so break it down because I didn't know about this. So you're a fellow. Tell me about this.
0: Yep. So Film Independent has a yeah. fellowship called Project Involve, And it's a fellowship I've known about since I got here. It's kind of like a really sick jumping off point. For some people, jumping off, for other people, is just like another great step in meeting people in the business, working with new talent, collaborating, really, which has always been like, I love that. So uh, there's, I would say, 30 of us total. Five of us are directors. Like I said, five directors, yes. writers, there's editors, producers, executives. And I think we have a programmer. So the team, we're all developing. And then I'll be directing one of those films later down the road. I'll be pitching. I'll
1: be, you know. Wow, that's exciting. Oh, I'm so excited to, to learn about that one. I really like to see it or, you know, see it as it doesn't, like as it unfolds. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, I am too. I think um, our class, we're a special class. Uh, I'm excited
1: to see what we make. Excellent. How'd you, uh, how'd you get involved with that? I applied. I mean. But those things are competitive, I'm sure. They're very competitive. It's funny. I have, I'm terrible with
0: like deadlines and stuff, not like in work, but in personal, I'm like Mm. terrible. I get it. You know, because I'm so focused on work, and then I'm like, "Oh crap, I was supposed to do a thing."
1: But also, it's hard for sometimes for people. I think to push for themselves. It's so much easier for people to be like, "Okay, you give me a deadline, I'll get it done." It's so much harder to put those deadlines on us, especially if you're trying to get into writing. I feel like it's so hard for writers. I've heard to put deadlines on themselves. It's tough. So I actually had a friend who was like, "Hey, Winter, don't
0: forget project involved. Deadline is tomorrow." And I was like, Oh my God, I completely forgot. Right. I loved it. Like I have to figure it out. And I think the application was like an essay um, a sample, which I had my film that was right. touring. So I was like, that's perfect. And maybe one other writing prompt and, I just was honest. This approach to applying for fellowships and stuff, I think I'm at a point right now where it's like, if you don't want me, that's okay. But if I'm trying to be somebody else and then you say no, then I'm stressed. Like, oh my God, what if, if I was more authentic? Like, would I have got, you know, I was honest. It was like, hey, you know, I've always felt misunderstood. i have like, this is why I want to make films. And I'm looking for collaborators in this business. I know a lot of people, but I also don't at the same time.
1: Yeah, you're still building your
0: community. Exactly. And like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for mentorship. Like I'm looking, just like really put it on the line. And I think, well, it seems like they responded well to that.
1: I'm honored that I was chosen. Congratulations. That's a big deal. I mean, I didn't know about it, so it's a big deal. Thank you. I'm really, really excited. It's
0: a good year. I have a new team, a new uh, management team this year that I was just connected with. So I'm just kind of like, okay.
1: Yeah. Things are good. So this actually segues perfectly. I always ask a couple extra like last questions on the podcast. So one is who are your mentors? Let's just stick with that.
0: You know, it's crazy. I don't have any mentors and not like in a, I did it all by myself kind of way, but that's something at the end of last year, I was like, I really want to remedy this. Like I, I want of someone who is like, they're aware they're my mentor. I'm aware that I'm a mentee and we have a relationship that I can come and ask questions or ask help or, you know, so through Project Involve, one of the special things is you are paired with a mentor and you get to choose the people you want to work with and they help you reach out. They help But, you know, like I said, though, a lot of people have taken,
1: you know, opportunities to teach me. So I was learning about this because I did an episode about uh, mastermind groups, which is peer-to-peer mentors. So there can be peer-to-peer mentors where you're like, you and I are kind of in the same place, maybe different, like different areas. But I'm learning from you and you learn from me and we're peers. But I'm still feeling like, yeah. So that's like a whole idea behind like a mastermind group is peers coming together and mentoring each other and like just getting better, like all of you just getting better together. Because think about it, like your strengths might be different than my strengths and vice versa. So it's like, how do we build each other up and be like, oh, you tried this? Like that works. This worked for me. And you're like, that's amazing. I'm so glad I learned that from you. That's still mentoring in a way. That is, I mean, that's interesting. I've never mastermind groups. I, I, I'm not familiar. This was a recent thing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think I have
0: friends like that. Like friends who were in L.A. working but have now decided to go back to film school.
1: And I didn't go to
0: film school. So sometimes I'm like, what is your professor saying about X, Y, Z? But then they're like, girl, you're out in the world working. How did that management conversation go? Yes.
1: And then the last question is, what is your definition of success?
0: Mm. My definition of success is freedom. Having the freedom to make what I want to make. And essentially do what I want to do, obviously, on a certain scale. I don't want to just, I don't know, be grandiose. But I mean, where I come from, my background, my my history, you know, my family, we just didn't have a lot and we made a lot with what we had. And I think I'm proof of that, like where I am right now and where I came from and where like, it's kind of miraculous. It's really a blessing to be here. So for me, I know I'm successful when my mother is straight there's no debt. I own my home. I can like support me and my family. You know, it's just for me, it's simple stuff. It's just like, I'm not burdened by what I think should be simple stuff in our lives. I think those are things we should all have, like in this society, like we should be able to live, have a, a home, like we should be able to feed ourselves, like have healthcare. Like there's certain things that I think should just be a given that, you know, we can talk about that later. But that's to me success. Success is when I'm making stories or making things I care about, things that I love, and I'm compensated in a way that I can just live my life and, you know, enjoy my life and not be burdened by, this, by sh- the stress of life. Um, I've seen that too much. And um, I want to be a Black girl who's not stressed in that way. That, that would be success for me.
1: Well said. Thanks so much for doing this. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at mentors on the mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, You can also find me at at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast. And I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much. And I'll see you next week.